Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, he teaches us this morning that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who threw a wedding feast for his son. And this king, he sent out his servants to all those who were invited. But surprisingly, they refused the invitation. Again, the king sends out other servants saying, tell those who are invited that now everything is ready. The table is set. The sacrifice has been made. The food is on the table. Come to the wedding feast. But our text says that they paid no attention and they all went off to their daily amusements. But it was worse than that. Because this gracious invitation to this lavish feast wasn't just met with cold indifference, but real hostility. Just imagine the insanity of it. The very folks who were graciously invited to this lavish banquet, they actually assaulted the king's servants, treated them shamefully, and even murdered them. But that the king would not tolerate. So the king sent in his armies who destroyed those who had mistreated and murdered his own servants. And they burned that city to the ground. And yet even after all of that, this king was still set on filling the table. He still loved the idea of a full house and of a festive board and welcoming many guests. So this time he sent his servants far and wide to extend the invitation even further, to the ends of the earth, in fact. He invited to the wedding feast as many as they could find. And the servants, they did just that. They called out to all, to the good and the bad and the ugly. And this kind and generous king was welcoming all. Dear friends of Christ, this is a parable about the incomprehensible love of God. That king in this parable is none other than God our Heavenly Father. And that wedding feast, well, that's the marriage feast he intends to throw between Christ and his bride, the church. God is intent, of course, on filling that table and continuing to welcome all. So think about it. What more could God possibly do for us that he has not yet done. Since our first parents rebelled against this kind and generous king, what more could we ever expect or even hope for? He promised to us a savior. And even after our expulsion, he never ceased sending patriarchs and prophets to preach and to invite the world concerning the promise of salvation. The seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head and bring forgiveness and new life and resurrection to all who would receive him. But how was that message received? God's prophet Isaiah, that's exactly what he preached in our first reading today. But evil King Manasseh took God's messenger Isaiah and ordered him to be sawed in half. God's messenger Jeremiah preached the same message. But Jehoiakim took him too and put him to death. The priest had Zechariah the prophet killed by the altar. 
King Herod took John the Baptist's head. And then you remember that sweet preacher of the gospel named St. Stephen. But the Pharisees and scribes, they stoned him to death. Most of all, Caiaphas and the chief priests rejected Christ our Lord himself, the greatest messenger of all, God of God and light of life. But rather than thank him and receive him, they begged Pilate instead to crucify him, the very God who had made them and planned for their salvation and invited them to the table. How insane. When the king in our parable heard of the rejection of his servants, the rejection of his son, he took that personal because it was all a rejection of him, a rejection of his grace. In that parable, the murderers are destroyed in that city too. And that's just what happened when God sends out another messenger, a servant named Titus, a general in the Roman army to destroy Jerusalem and all of its inhabitants too. Jesus had seen it all beforehand. He wept for the destruction to come, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. You see, today's gospel is a warning to us too. Sadly, we see this same rejection of the gospel going on to this very day, all around us. God's invitation is spurned. Folks pursue their worldly interests and pay little attention to the preaching, to the means of grace, and to the sacraments. But to reject these very treasures of salvation is to reject God himself. And with that rejection comes judgment and God's righteous condemnation. So how crazy, how insane, how absolutely absurd to reject this wonderful invitation from God. It's an invitation, after all, to receive forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God in heaven, and resurrection to life and immortality. We should be willing to run, all of us, a thousand miles for the chance at hearing such an invitation from such a king. But the wild thing is, such an effort isn't even required. All that's needed is to stumble into your local Christian church, and there you'll find your king, along with his kingdom, right where he's promised to be in his church, reigning through his word and sacraments, along with all of the treasures of salvation. But that, which requires no work really whatsoever, except believing and receiving, is considered too burdensome in this world, blighted by sin. It's too much, too hard, too burdensome. How foolish. How insane. This parable has everything to do with the first table of the law, that we should have no other gods, that we should neither misuse his name and hold his word sacred and gladly hear it and learn it. So may God in his mercy forgive us for our neglect of his word, for spurning the invitation. Isaiah this morning, he said it best, seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Dear friends, what's absolutely key to understanding the first portion of our gospel this morning is to see, most importantly, the pure grace of God. This is really central. That invitation from this king goes out to all, both good and bad. The wedding feast and this promise of salvation, this invitation, is not based one iota on the qualifications of those who were invited, but only, only on the basis and merits of Christ, God's own Son. That's what we must know. I'd like to deal now with the second part of our parable this morning. It deals with a man who somehow snuck into that wedding feast without a wedding garment on. Listen to this. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer, outer darkness. For in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, what should we make of this? Well, apparently the king has something of a very strict dress code in his kingdom. How are we dressed before God? What sort of appearance do we have before him? That's worth thinking about. Because God's word says, clothe yourselves with humility. But so often we clothe ourselves with self-righteousness. God's word says, clothe yourselves with compassion and with kindness. But instead, you've so often clothed yourselves with the putrid garments of cruelty and and incompassion. The psalm speaks of us when it declares that pride is our necklace. We think too highly of ourselves, and we think that we can just belly up to God's table with a sort of come-as-you-are attitude. Just accept me the way I am not realizing that even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. At least that's how God's servant Isaiah put it. We tend to think that God should accept us just the way we are. But it's just the way we are that's exactly the problem. So repent. Humble yourself. And remember the mercy and grace of God the King who chose you before the foundation of the world and clothed you. Adam and Eve, they clothed themselves with a fig leaf after they fell, thinking that would do. But if they were to stand again before the King, costlier duds were needed, and that would come at the cost of an animal's blood. 
but it all pointed forward to the wedding garment that would come at the cost of God's own blood and the sacrificial death that he would give for us and the blood that he would shed for us, freely given to you in your baptism. So I want you to look and think about how God resolved to save rebel and prideful man. He sent his own son, clothed in man's flesh and blood, to be cast out in disgrace, that sinners might be brought in, clothed in baptism and given a kingdom. It's fascinating, really, because what actually happened to the king's own son, to Christ our Lord, is so much like what happened to that defiant man in our parable this morning. I want you to think about it. When questioned by Pilate, the governor, about who he was, he remained silent, just like that man in the parable. But it wasn't the silence of guilt. It was the silence of his love for you. It was the silence of your Savior who came to quietly suffer in prideful man's place. There he was speechless as he carried your guilt and he died for it. There he was, silent, as they bound him hand and foot and hung him on a cross to die for you. There he was, saying nothing, as they cast him out into the outer darkness of Golgotha, where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, until he rose again, that he might fill your eyes with tears of joy and fill you with his body and blood that saves you. There is quiet determination of the Lamb of God to die and be raised again so that you might be clothed in his humility. There was his quiet desire to be clothed in all of your shame and suffer your punishment so that you might freely receive the wedding garment that covers your sin and clothes you with his own holiness. St. Paul, he put it so beautifully when he writes, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That is, we wear him. This is the garment, the righteousness of God's own Son, which makes you an honored guest in his kingdom, so that you can eat and drink and be merry and be accepted and live in his presence for all of eternity. Again, for us sons and daughters of the king, there is a strict dress code in his kingdom. We come into the presence of God, decked out in the righteousness of Christ, and we dare not come before him in any other way. So this morning, I want you to remember your baptism. I want you to remember that the king has called you into his kingdom by grace and by grace alone, and that he has clothed you with the garments of his salvation. Blessed are those who are invited to the supper of the Lamb, and blessed are you, for the king has summoned you, he's invited you, and when he looks at you in his son, Even this morning, he just loves what he sees. A forgiven child of God, trusting in him. So belly up to the table. You belong here, after all. 
feast on his body and drink his blood. For by so doing, we rightly honor the king and we reverence his son. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.